All right, so we are going to now look at the resurrection. That's why we're here today. So if you will, um, if you, we're going to start with our big idea, and we're going to be all over the place. But the first place we're going to go is to Acts chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, the other place we're going to camp out in is John chapter 11. So you can kind of go back and forth. So here's our main idea. I like main ideas. I like to have them out there. It's the teacher in me. I always like people to know what we're shooting for. So here's our big idea, our main idea. The resurrection of Jesus turned the world right side up. The resurrection of Jesus turned the world right side up. Now, when we look at life, we, we kind of think about life-changing moments. We think about things that, that change our lives, right? It could be, could be the birth of a child. It could be a marriage. It could be a job change. It could be a where you live in the world change. And those are true. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one. That's a life-changing event. But let's think bigger than that. Let's think about world-changing events. We've heard a lot of the word unprecedented this year. We've heard a lot of things won't get back to normal, the new norm, old norm, whatever that may be. And we look at how our world has changed. But has it truly changed? There's still a lot that's very much the same. So I think, what are some of those world-changing events that we might look at and go, you woke up on the day before, it was this world. You woke up on the day after, it's that world. Maybe our minds go to 9-11. Yeah, our world did change. But did it change everything in our world? Not really. Airline flying got even more difficult. Maybe there was more hostility. Maybe there was more thinking through of who we let in and a bunch of other questions. So maybe that's not a world-changing event. Assassination of a president, that's an American-changing event. Maybe not a world-changing event. The closest I could come to of a world-changing event that was sometime in the last hundred or so years is Pearl Harbor. December 7th, 1941. Most people woke up, and it was just another day. December 8th, 1941, we were at war. And we didn't even realize how vast this war was going to be. There was not a part of American culture and most cultures in the world that were not touched by the war. And there is a before and after. But even then, I'm sure you could find somebody living somewhere who didn't get affected by the war. So what would be a world-changing event that changed how we view everything that could be for everyone? Well, that's what we're celebrating here today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everybody that went to bed last night nearly 2,000 years ago, and then woke up today, woke up to a world totally changed by what Jesus had done. The fact that Jesus was not in the tomb, that he was alive, changes everything. It's why, it's why historians have used the word, the letters B.C. and A.D., and they went from his birth, but really it's his death that changes everything. B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domine, which means the year of our Lord. Every year is his now after he came. But really, it changes today. It changes on this Sunday. So the resurrection is key. The resurrection is the means by which everything changes. So let's walk through this. The first thing I want to say is that the resurrection was a life-changing event for the disciples. So this crew of guys, 12 of them, wandering around. Before Jesus even gets a hold of them, they're off doing their own thing. Some of them are good Jews. Some of them are not so good. 
Some of them are blue-collar workers. Some of them are white-collar workers. They're all across the board. Some worked with Rome. Some didn't. They kind of did their own thing. Then Jesus grabs them, brings them in, starts working miracles, starts teaching them crazy things that they're like, this guy just teaches interesting. I don't get it. He said he was the Messiah. He said he was the king. And so the disciples are like, ooh, I want to be in on that because if he is the king, you know, I'm going to get a special high spot. I'm going to be somebody important in his kingdom. These these disciples, they they were kind of hedging their bets that maybe Jesus was who he said he was. And then something happened. After the triumphal entry, which we celebrated last week on Palm Sunday, Jesus is arrested He's arrested and taken in front of the religious leaders of his time. And what do his disciples do? They run away. They hide. Including the leader of the disciples, Peter. You know, Peter gets kind of a bad rap because he's always saying things and sticking both feet in his mouth. But really what Peter was doing was he was just saying all the things the disciples were getting him to say as their leader. So Peter follows behind Jesus as Jesus is going to the the Sanhedrin and then to different rulers and through the trial. And Peter is scared. Peter's worried that he's going to be thought of as one of the followers of Jesus. So much so that, and I kind of picture Peter as a man's man. He's a fisherman. He works with his hands. He's kind of just a big guy. He's standing in the courtroom, court outside of the courtroom. And a little girl comes up to him and says, aren't you one of them? And he goes, no, no, I'm not. Leave me alone. Don't say anything. He's cowering before a little girl. He does this three times of denying Christ, and then he runs away. And then Jesus dies. This death that was just horrendous. They invented a word for people who die on a cross. They invented a word called excruciating which means dying on a cross. That's how bad it is. They had to make up a word. But that wasn't it. Not only was he, was he on the cross where the nails went through right below his hands and through his feet, but he had also been scourged. His back was ripped to shreds. He'd been pummeled in the face. They put a cloth over his face and hit him. He was spit upon. He was beaten. All of this. And then died. And then buried in a tomb. And where are the disciples? They're hiding. They're hiding. All save one, a young boy who named John, the Apostle John, which he's kind of the one outlier. But all the rest of the apostles, every single one of them is hiding. They're locking themselves in a room going, they're coming for us next. See, these disciples saw Jesus as a means to meeting their needs. Their their pyramid of what was important to them had them at the top, and Jesus was a means to make them better. And then it all changed, didn't it? Sunday morning, the women go to the tomb. He's not there. There's no body. Did they go to the wrong tomb? Well, you'd think they'd figure that out. After there was no body, they went to the wrong tomb. Or when they start saying these crazy things like, this guy's alive, Wouldn't they just produce the body? So they went to the right tomb, and there was no body. And then Jesus started appearing to people in locked rooms. Remember, Jesus, they're in a locked room, and Jesus appears there. He shows up, and he says, touch me, look at me, I'm here. This was not a bloody, beaten man who found a secret passage out of the back of the tomb and came in there. 
Remember, because Jesus' side is pierced. Now we think side, okay, there's not a whole lot there important. But by side, it's an up and in. They pierced his heart. They pierced the sack around his heart to see if his heart was still pumping. And because it wasn't, the blood had separated. That would have killed you. And so all of this and this, this person shows up and they go, what? He's alive. This glorified and risen Savior. See, here's the thing. When we talk about the resurrection, there's a lot of people that say it cannot happen. And, and, and nobody in this room has ever witnessed a resurrection like this. Nor will we until the end. But there are three facts that whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, some other religion, or a Christian, that have to be accounted for when it comes to Jesus' morning, his Sunday morning on Resurrection Sunday. The first is nobody. The tomb is empty. There's nobody. The second thing is that the disciples said they saw Jesus. That's the one that's the easiest to fake. Then the third thing is the disciples were changed. They were totally changed. Completely upside down world. And we're going to camp here on this because I think this is one of the most powerful things about the resurrection. Because it takes nothing to say, oh yeah, I saw it. Oh, okay, right? But it takes everything to then when someone says, you made that up, I'm going to kill you if you don't tell me the truth. And you say, I can't, it's true. I can't. I'm going to put, I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to die for it. One historian says, no other explanation has ever been offered in 2,000 years of sneering skepticism that can satisfactorily account for how the tomb became empty, how the disciples came to see Jesus, and how their lives were transformed. The only logical, reasonable explanation is that Jesus is alive. Now, let me show you this, because you can take my word for it. These disciples went exactly opposite. Remember, they hid. They were worried about their necks. Look at Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 29. Let me set the stage here. Peter and the apostles have just been rounded up because they healed a man. They are brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling body of the Jewish religion, of the, of the religion of the time. They brought Peter and the apostles into the courtroom where the Sanhedrin meets. This is the same room that Jesus was scourged, beaten, and put on trial not 50 days before. So I wonder, as Peter's standing there, and as John's standing there, and these apostles, I wonder, as they look down, is there still some blood in the dirt? Is there still some sweat drops? Is there some spit that had dripped off the face of our Savior when they beat him and they spit on him? They are standing in the exact spot with the same group of people ready to kill them. And look at Peter's response. They said, don't preach, don't teach. And he says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him to his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. What they said right there was way more inflammatory than anything Jesus uttered. They were saying, you can kill us, but we're going to stand that Jesus is alive. 
What a change. What a dramatic 180. They went from, don't hurt us, to, you can go ahead and kill us, but we're not going to change because this is the truth. We are standing on this truth. These disciples had their worlds turned upside down. They had everything turned on its head. And who had changed their lives? So much so that every single one of these apostles, save John, is murdered for this. If they lied, if they lied, they died for a lie. And who's going to die for a lie? Some people won't even die for the truth. And these men would say, I'm, I'm going to die for it. Now, John didn't get off easy. He was boiled alive, which if that were me, I'd just want to be dead. He was boiled alive, lived, and then died of old age. Pretty sure his entire body was one big scar. So these, these, these men, they, if they had faked it, if, they, if it wasn't true, if it was this mass delusion, they all, under threat of death, said, I'll die because you can't change the truth. And the truth is, Jesus is alive. This is not a uh, uh, let yourself die killing other people to get an afterlife. No, instead, this is Christ now goes from on my list somewhere to the most important thing. See, that's what the apostles had, that's what happened to the apostles. They had, they were the top, and Jesus was a means to make their, their lives better. And instead, it is now flipped on its head by the resurrection. Jesus is now at the top, and we are somewhere way down on the list. Rightly where he belongs, he's at the top. So that's how the disciples changed. The next thing we see is that the resurrection is not only important to the disciples, but it's primary to the disciples. It is the foundation that they build upon. It's not just good news. It's, it's, it's the foundation. It's primary. It's, it's what matters. John Stott says, Christianity is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection is at the heart of Christianity. You remove that, there is no Christianity. Another author says, the resurrection is not a magic trick, but an invasion. An event that saved us, moving from the cross to resurrection, now remakes Christians from the inside out, flipping their world on their head. You can see this in, after Judas had hanged himself, the night that Jesus died, Judas the betrayer who betrayed Jesus, the disciples want to choose a new member of their 12. And they said, well, how do we do this? Acts 1 21 says, so one of the men, this is them talking, who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord was with us and went out among us, beginning at the baptism of John until the day he was taken up, one of these men must be a witness to the resurrection. So what the disciples said is, to be a member of the disciples, the apostles, you had to have witnessed the resurrection. You had to actually have seen the risen Jesus. So the resurrection must be the focal point of the apostles. And if you think about this, if, if you were going to make up a religion, if you were going to make up a religion and try to sell it to people and get people to buy into this religion, you wouldn't start with the resurrection because it's the thing that's most easily falsified. It's the thing that you can show is not true. Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, you mean this one right here? This dead body? This guy? Yeah, he's not, he's dead. Your, your religion's stupid. But that's not what happened, right? They, they start with the resurrection. We would have done it. We would have said, well, come be a Christian, 
and your marriage will be fixed. We'd start with something like that. Now, I believe if you have Christ in your life, there are things that he can do with a marriage. But that's not where the apostles start. They start with the resurrection. It's about getting things right side up. Maybe we would start with something like, well, you feel guilt, you feel shame. Be a Christian so you can get rid of that. Well, that's true. He does take our guilt. He does take our shame. But that's not where the apostles start. The apostles start with resurrection. Maybe we'd say something like, God has guidelines for you, and if you follow these guidelines, you're going to have a great life. That may be true. Those guidelines are there, but that's not where the apostles start. They don't even start with God loves you, which is where I, I would start sometimes, right? God loves you. Come here. Be a Christian. Come to church. The apostles start with, there was a guy. His name was Jesus. He was the son of God. He rose from the dead. Believe in him. Well, what is that going to do for me? Well, that doesn't matter. You just get this right, and then everything else falls into place. See, helping your marriage, freedom from guilt, guidance for life, the fact that God loves you are all true messages, but they don't mean anything if Christ is not on his throne, if Christ is not primary. And that's what the resurrection does. The resurrection says, this is the one you must believe in. Everything else flows from it. Not go for these things and add Jesus on. Jesus must be first. And again, don't believe me on this. Every single sermon in the book of Acts is focusing on the resurrection. Every single one. So the apostles say, this is the thing we're going to go with. They spoke to Jews, resurrection. They spoke to Gentiles, resurrection. They spoke to Jewish Gentile converts, resurrection. Rich people, resurrection. Poor people, resurrection. You see why this day is important? The resurrection is it. In fact, I love this. The Apostle Paul in Acts 17, he's, he's in Athens and he's preaching about Jesus. And they say, what does this babbler wish to say? He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching the Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul had been talking about the resurrection so much that people went, you know what? I think he believes in two gods, Jesus and this God called resurrection. Oh, I mean, he talked about it so much that they were confused. Now, Paul, as Paul does, clarifies himself and helps them understand that that's not what he's preaching. You can have a religion without the resurrection but you can't have Christianity without the resurrection. And you can't be a Christian if you don't believe in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So the disciples lay it out. This is primary. This is the starting place for everything that we teach and believe. Why? Well, here's the answer. The resurrection changes all things. The resurrection changes all things, changes everything, changes every single thing, every fiber, every atom is changed now because of the resurrection. See, Jesus, when he came, he taught all sorts of crazy things, and they made no sense whatsoever. And then the resurrection. And you saw, oh, he's, he's flipping everything on its ear. I mean, think about this. I'm not a chess expert, but in, I'm playing chess the, key, the one I protect, the one piece that I'm going to protect over every other piece is the king. Now the rook, the little castle, 
Those are pretty cool. I like those. The queen is cool too. But if the king dies, what happens? You lose the game. Christianity sacrifices the king before the game even starts. And they win the game. That's not how the game's played though, is it? Are you starting to see? The world is flipped on its head. And it's flipped right side up. Look at some of these things. And this, this idea of this upside down world is not something new with me. Acts 17, 6, the men in Thessalonica, when, when Paul shows up, they say, these are the men that turned the world upside down. This is not new. Jesus' kingdom is an upside down kingdom. And praise be to God that it is. Jesus' very first sermon in Matthew 5 which we'll be talking about this fall. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the people at the bottom are the ones that get the top. Look at Matthew 8, 13. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Upside down. We would say the big, strong, the richest, the, the Harvard educated are the ones who run the kingdom. Jesus says, no, it's the little children. Be like them. Matthew 20, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Nobody wants to live that way. We are first, we're Americans, we're out in front, let's go. We've got this. Jesus says, no, put others out in front, you be last and I will make you first. And here, Jesus takes death and makes it victory. Catch this, your king dies, your kingdom is done. Jesus, the king, dies. His kingdom has come. That's the backwards way of the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, is that the king comes, and by dying, the kingdom is assured. Every other time, if your king dies, it's like, okay, got to go find something else to do. I got to find a new king, or I got to run for my life. See, the apostles treated Jesus like any other king. He's dead. Uh-oh, we're, we're in trouble. They didn't understand that his dying was the means of his victory. Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I would know the power of the resurrection. One author writes, these verses are saying the resurrection of Christ is the source of salvation, life, and power now. This is the source of power for us now. The resurrection was indeed a miraculous display of God's power. But we should not see it as a suspension of, of the natural world, the natural order. Instead, it's a restoration of the natural order. See, every single one of you was meant to live forever with Christ, in relationship with Christ for eternity. But sin came in and has perverted that. And by God's mercy, he did not allow us to stay in our sin forever. And then he sends Christ to fix it all so that we can experience eternity forever in bodies that won't break down. This is the restoration of the way it was meant to be. This is the world turned right side up. Romans 4 says that he died for our sins and was raised for our justification. So it's like this. What Jesus did on Friday, he took all the sins off of our account. We are now down to zero. We were in the negative. He brought us to zero. His resurrection now puts us in his account, which guess what? 
It's an account that has more money than anybody can imagine, that has more in it. We have his righteousness, Christ's righteousness, his perfect life is now credited to us because of what Jesus did and his resurrection. We're a part of God's family. We're on his account now. Is there anything too hard for our Lord? No. The next thing we see is this, I've talked, talked about it a little bit, I wanna hit it one more time, is that the resurrection puts the world right side up. Puts the world right side up. This upside down kingdom, you know, it makes no sense to us and we try to get our minds around it. What do you mean Jesus came and he hung out with a bunch of beggars and then he died and what does this mean? It means that he's restoring things to the way they should be. Salvation through weakness of repentance, through forgiveness, sacrifice, and service. This is what we call a redemptive reversal. The way the world thinks is turned on its head so that we can get right with the way God thinks. This right side upism of Jesus' resurrection kills death. Death loses its sting if we're in Christ. One author writes, Jesus' new life shows us that the cycle of sin and death in which we are stuck in is finally broken. It's beaten. It's destroyed. He has triumphed over sin once and for all. For all. It's a victory over sin. And it's not a temporary one. It's a forever one. So what does this mean? What this means is when God made man, he made us. And I say man, I mean men and women, humankind. When he made us, he made us for relationship with him. He made, for, made us to live forever in relationship with him. And then our great, 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 great grandparents sinned and that relationship was broken. Now God could have said, okay, you can stay in the garden. You're in sin. Keep eating of the tree of life. Live forever in your sin. You think it's bad living the number of years that we have. Imagine living thousands and thousands of years. How many sins are we going to get into? Way more than we ever should. So God in his mercy says, I'm not going to let you live forever. Instead, I'm going to provide a means by which we can fix this relationship. And this is what Christ has done here. The king has come. He has died to switch the kingdom to the way it was supposed to be. You'll say, but wait, the kingdom is not here yet. It started. It starts in the lives of every single one of us who is a believer. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming because Christ the same one who said, I'm going to raise from the dead. And the disciples are like, yeah, we get that. It's going to happen someday. Is the same Christ that says, I'm coming back. And when I come back, it's done. And I'm going to make a new world where you're going to have bodies that will never be destroyed. You're going to have no tears, no weeping, no pain for all of eternity. So we need to believe that promise because he kept his first promise about his resurrection. So the last thing I want to hit, the resurrection is a life-changing event today. Right here, right now, Jesus' resurrection changes things. It changes everything, if only we let it. Death Valley, I want to talk about Death Valley. It's about 200 miles east of Los Angeles. It is an incredibly low area. It's about 276 feet below sea level. Rivers and creeks, or not rivers, creeks and streams flow into Death Valley and they never come out. It's just they go in and they're gone. The average rain every year is about two and a half inches. 
We get that in like an hour, right? Two and a half inches. The hottest temperature there is 134 degrees. That's just the one that somebody was there with a thermometer to catch. It is a barren, barren place. But check this out. A few years ago, it rained for 19 straight weeks there. And you won't believe what happened. Seeds that had laid dormant for years, for decades, bloomed. It's called a super bloom. It happens once every 30, 40 years. And this was a super duper bloom. Because every single hill, every single valley had flowers. I mean, look at the beautifulness of these. Go to the next one there, Trevor. I mean, look at that. That's a valley that's called Death Valley. That's the exact opposite, isn't it? Death Valley has life. See, this is the Easter message. A desert becomes a garden. Does that sound like something turned on its head? Death Valley becomes Life Valley. Beauty transcends the ugly. Love wins. Hate loses. The tomb is empty. The cross disappears in the glow of the Easter morning. See, you can't be neutral on this. You can't be neutral on Jesus. It's either one or the other. You either believe and you trust in the resurrection or you don't. You can't be in between because being in between is a you don't. His resurrection is real. It's reality. Do you believe it? In Acts 17, at the end of Paul's time in Athens, he, gets, he, he talks about the resurrection, and there are three responses. Look at what it says. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. So there's three options today. First one is ridicule. Second one is investigate. The third one is believe. Now, ridicule, you come here and you say, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's talking about somebody who died and is now alive and has risen up to heaven. This is crazy talk. It, it is. It is crazy talk. But it happened. What are you going to do with that? One author writes, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, the one that's going the opposite direction looks crazy. We're going to look crazy. The whole world is running off a cliff. Join with us crazy people because I think we know where life is. So that's your first option, and you're welcome to it. You're welcome to come back and, and, and learn more about this and see how crazy we can get. The second thing on here is investigate. Look at what it says. They said, we will hear you again on this. Investigate. If this is true, then you better make sure it's true and go for it. Don't just kind of so and so. Investigate. Is it real. If it's real, then it's going to change things. And the third thing is believe. Put your trust in him. Let him turn your world right side up. You've been going the other way for a while. Give it a try because it is amazing. So for those who do not believe, you need this change. This change is what is needed. Every single one of us needs it. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, we need this change. I need this change daily. Look at what Jesus says in John 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet 
shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, what Jesus is not talking about is he's not saying, if you believe in Jesus, you're all going to live forever right here on these physical deteriorating bodies, these sinful bodies. What he's saying is, is if you believe in me, yeah, you're going to die physically, but spiritually and then in a new physical body for all of eternity, you're going to experience eternal life. Death no longer is the end. Instead, death is the start of new life. See, every single one of us is going to die. But not every single one of us is going to really live. See, this, this, this death is not just death. When we die, it's not just death into nothingness. It's into death into eternal death. That's what the Bible says. If you do not believe in the resurrection, it is eternal death for all of time. If you believe in the resurrection and it becomes what you are and it changes your world, you now live life eternally. D.L. Moody once said, Someday you'll read that I have died. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I have shall have gone up higher, and that is all. Out of this cold, old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like his body. And this is what's being offered to you today. You need this change. You need your world turned right side up. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. He is risen from the dead. He's proclaiming forgiveness. He's holding out freedom. And all you need to do is embrace it. All you need to do is receive it, believe it, trust in it. Now, for those of you here that have made this, this decision, and you are following Christ, you are believers, and you, have, you, you, you say, I am a Christian, you've just heard the altar call, right? So you tuned out a little bit. Tune back in. Don't miss this. Those disciples, their lives, there was a before and there was an after. A before Christ and a Christ is the Lord of my life forever. Have you had that change? Have you had that change? Do you get it? See, it's not about joining a club. It's not about adding to your, your LinkedIn, Christian. It's not about putting it on your Facebook status. It's not hashtag a believer. What it is is I am now in Christ. My world is flipped over. Christ is who I live for. I'm down here on the list at the bottom somewhere. If that's not what you have done, do it now. Because that's what makes you a believer, is your world being right side up. Do you believe what John 11 25 and 26, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, though he die, that's us right now. We are slowly dying. We can live. So Christian, are you really living? I don't mean living the way the world says. That's the upside down kingdom. I mean living the world, living the new world, the right side up world. Is that what you're living? One of my favorite authors wrote, so when you think of your new birth, think of it as the first installment of what's coming next. Your body and the whole world one day will take part in this regeneration. God's final purpose is not spiritual renewal and decrepit, diseased bodies. Praise God. His purpose is to renew the world with renewed bodies, with renewed souls, with renewed senses, enjoying God for eternity. And it starts now. 
He doesn't say life later. He says life now. And remember the promise. When Jesus comes back, he says, Revelation 21, verse 5, Behold, I'm making all things new. The all things new starts right now. The super bloom is nothing compared to the blooming that needs to be in our hearts, the blooming that needs to be in us. If you're a believer today, if you are not blooming, then you're not where you need to be. Get on fire for the Lord. If you're here and you are not a believer, your world's upside down and I may be talking gibberish. But I'm telling you, this is the truth. The super bloom can happen in your life. It is gonna cost you though, because you have to die and you have to let Christ go to the top. But praise be to God, Jesus killed death. The death is gone. So guess what? You will truly live. So if you've made this commitment and you haven't felt that life yet, today's the day. Don't wait. And the amazing thing about it is, is that Jesus did not leave us all alone. He did not say, you have to do this on your own. He provided two things so that you can do it. The first is his spirit. He had messed around with the Israelites long enough and knew that they couldn't do it, even if God's in their presence. So after Jesus died, he sent his spirit, and his spirit now lives inside of us. And that spirit helps us follow his rules, helps us live the life we're supposed to. So that spirit's inside of us. The second thing he provided is he provided a church. Not the, the building, but the body. You are never meant to be alone as you try to walk the Christian life. Please consider being a part of this church. If we're not to your liking, we'll find you another one. There are plenty. But you need that help. We pull each other up. We point each other to Christ. We help each other when our worlds get inverted again. When we go, oh yeah, I'm gonna live for me. No, 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 live for Jesus. We need that constant reminder because we need our worlds right side up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you that, Lord, you did come and you made this world right side up. Lord, we didn't have to effort it out on our own. We did not have to try to figure it out on our own. We didn't have to do it by nailing all the rules and all the guidelines. Instead, Lord, your son came and did that, and he died the death in our place. And Lord, you stamped it with your stamp of approval, paid in full with his resurrection. Lord, thank you that your son's resurrection is a picture of our resurrection if we're in you. And I pray, Lord, that we would choose to follow you. Where we have allowed the world to be on top, Lord, I pray that you would help us to die to that and live to you. Lord, we praise you. Thank you for your son's resurrection. In your name, amen.